Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. question. Do you believe in coincidence? I do. I believe God plans them. I don't think that it has been any coincidence that earlier in the year, two of our guest speakers, Dave Ward And then Rob Coleman both chose the same subject to preach on. Faith for finance. I didn't realise it at the time. I didn't know what was going to come up later this year. But looking back on it, do you think that was just a coincidence? Or do you think it was maybe something God planned and wanted to build into us in advance? And so looking back, that teaching now on having faith for finance is so important as we stand at this point and start thinking about buying a building. I wouldn't expect many of you to know, but I plan the preaching that I do, at least in broad terms, months and months ahead. The current series that we're going through was a series that I actually planned in November and December last year. And you will probably remember that even in January, I explained that we were going to be looking at the five Ps that came out of Isaiah's encounter with God as he walked into the temple that morning as it's described in Isaiah 6. But I didn't know that the subject I'd planned to preach on next in my series would be preached today. Neither did I know the backdrop against which we were going to find ourselves when I came to preach it. But there it is. God knew. And I feel this morning's preach has a real relevance for us over the next few weeks. And when I heard there was quite a lot of people going to be away this morning, I was tempted to put it off. But then I thought, no, this is relevant for now. Another question. How many of you like to read a good book? A few. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Now I want you to be really honest with me. How many of you feel the temptation to read the last few pages of the book before you've covered the rest of it? Do you ever turn to those last few pages just to check how it's going to turn out in the end? 
to find out what happens to the hero and the villain. Well, this morning, I want us to look at a passage of scripture, but we're going to look at it in that way. We're going to look at what happens at the end of the story, and then go back and look at the rest of it. And step by step, walk through what led up to this point. And the strange thing is, we're going to look at the same passage again next week, but draw something totally different out of it. And so we're going to draw out two quite important matters that relate to our theme, our second P, purity. The passage we're going to look at can be found in the book of Joshua and in chapter 8. And to read the conclusion of the story, you'll find it's towards the end of that chapter. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. All who fell that day, both men and women, were twelve thousand. All the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he had stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all of the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder according to the word of God that he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burnt I and made it forever a heap of ruins, as it is to this day. And then he hanged the king of I on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones which stands there to this day. Here we see Joshua taking the city of Ai. He kills all the inhabitants, he destroys the city, and he reduces it to nothing more than a pile of stones. It's a great end to a story, isn't it? Israel is victorious. The king of Ai, one of their enemies, is dead and everywhere is destruction. But to get a full understanding of this story, we need to look at what goes before it. And in fact, we need to look back several chapters. We need to understand what's been going on in the lives and the hearts and the minds of the Israelites prior to this event. Otherwise, we can't see how it comes about. So what we've done here is read in many ways what is the last page of the book. So we're going to go back 
and fill in the details to find out what brought Joshua to this climax of the story. And we're going to look at the same passages next week and draw out a second problem. And so it would be quite helpful if over the next week you could read this passage in its entirety. From Joshua 6 right through to the end of Joshua 8. It actually all starts even quite a while before that. I did something which I don't always do this weekend. I got Moena to look through my notes and said, what do you reckon? And she said to me, yeah, you need the context. And we then had a discussion. I felt I'd given the context. She felt I should give the whole counsel of God as the context, I think. She said, why don't you start in Genesis and start from there? And I did point out that... By the time I'd given the context starting in Genesis, I I probably would have insufficient time to make the points that come out of this. But we can go back to Joshua 1. Here are the people of Israel. They've escaped from Egypt. They'd spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, essentially because of their rebellion against God. And then under the leadership of Joshua, with Moses having just died, they stand on the very brink of entering into the land that they'd been promised, ready to enter into their inheritance. And at that point, God speaks to Joshua, and he gives them some wonderful promises. For example, in Joshua 1, starting at verse 3, it says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, Toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Just in those three verses, there are several great promises. The land is yours everywhere you put your foot. I'm going before you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I will be with you. And no man will be able to stand before you. A few verses on, in verse 6, it says, You shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. A promise of inheritance. But he also gave them some quite stern warnings. For example, in verses 7 and 8, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. 
that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Their success depended on their obedience. And now the Israelites have started to enter the promised land. And almost immediately they begin to come up against opposition. Now this wasn't really a surprise to them. Because they'd already sent spies out in advance. Who'd reported back to them. And most of the spies who'd come back told stories of giants and other quite formidable enemies. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, had seen things quite differently. They'd seen things through the eyes of faith. And those of you who were at North last year may remember David Holden's excellent preaching on how we need to mix the promises of God with eyes of faith just like these two guys did. We need to be like Joshua and Caleb. And then as they pushed forward, they came up against Jericho. And at that point, I think it must have really dawned on them that things were not going to be some easy pushover. Because we read in the beginning verse of Joshua 6, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. It was a fortified city and the gate was shut. But God had already planned the downfall of Jericho. And he gave Joshua a hint as to the plan. We read in verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, with its king and mighty men of valour. You shall march around the city with all the seven priests, sorry, with all the men of war, going round the city once. This you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before them. Now I don't know about you, but the thought of taking a city by walking around it, blowing trumpets, probably wasn't going to be the first on my list of good ideas. But that is what God had said. That is what God had said. And probably with the warnings from God still ringing in the ears of Joshua, that's what he told his troops to do. And to shorten the story a little, that is what they did over the next 
five or six days. They walked around the city as they'd been commanded, following the priests with the trumpets. And then we read in verse 15, on the seventh day they rose early. At the dawn of the day, and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. And then in verse 27, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Guess what? Following God's plan worked. They followed God's plan and as a result they had a resounding victory. The whole city was laid to waste. Their enemy was annihilated. And as a result of that their fame spread. I want you to imagine for a moment how they must have felt at that point. They had just captured a heavily fortified city from its defenders without incurring a single casualty. I bet it was the talk of the whole area. So what do you now do if you're stood in Joshua's position? Well, God had told them to take the land. To drive out the people who lived there. So it's obvious. That's what we need to get on and do. And as we go into chapter 7 of Joshua, that's what we find the men doing. And then in verse 2 of chapter 7, it says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. He said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Don't have all the people go up there. But let about two or three thousand men go up and attack I. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up from the people. And they fled before the men of I. And the men of I killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So what had gone wrong? This invincible army had suddenly been turned on its heels. And not only that, having overcome a big fortified city, they were being turned on their heels by a much smaller town that wasn't well defended. 
Joshua's reaction to this is probably fairly predictable. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Joshua is feeling sorry for himself. And the account then goes on to talk about something which happened, which is referred to as the sin of Achan. And we're going to look at that more next week. But I want to skip over that this week, because I want to draw out something different. So the account regarding the city of Ai then continues in chapter 8. The Lord said to Joshua, do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king what you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. We then have the account that follows that tells us. And they do, they go up to the city, they take 30,000 men, it calls them men of valour, and they go out by night. And a number of those men were laid out in ambush against the city. What then happens is they take a much smaller force up against the city and as the men of Ai come out to see them run again, that's exactly what they do. But they lead them into the ambush. And then Joshua in verse 18 gives a signal. He holds out a javelin that's in his hand towards the city. And as he did that, that was the signal for the trap to be sprung. And it says in verse 19, And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place, and as soon as he'd stretched out his hand, they ran, they entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So now you've got all the fighting force of Ai have come out of the city to pursue what they thought was the Israelite army and then the Israelites take the city and set it on fire behind them. So in verse 20 it says, So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven. 
and they had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who fled into the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all of Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. The Israelites who'd been running off into the wilderness now stood their ground and turned back on their pursuers. And then the others came out of the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. So what had gone wrong in the first instance? Why had this army that had originally been so powerful suddenly fail to deal on the first instance with this weaker enemy? Was it simply that they underestimated their enemy? I don't think so. I don't think it's that because they'd taken the precaution of spying out the land. They'd assessed what the opposition was likely to be like. So was it that 3,000 men wasn't enough? I don't think it's that either. I think if everything else had been right, 3,000 men would have been plenty. I think there were two major problems. One we're going to look at next week. But the one I want to concentrate on this week is something far more fundamental. It's simple. They tried to take the city in their own strength. If you read back through the two accounts, the one where they were defeated and the other where they were victorious, there are some very obvious distinctions. On the first attempt, we read in chapter 7 verse 2, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. And they returned to him and said, don't have all the people go up there. Whereas on the second attempt, what we read at the beginning of chapter 8 is, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Can you see the difference? On the first attempt, they had just seen an overwhelming victory against this strong fortified city of Jericho. Here they were coming up against a much weaker foe. The difference isn't in the size of the army they put together, but in those few words in that second passage. And the Lord said to Joshua. And the first lesson I want us to take out of this this morning is that as we begin to think about whether we should buy this building... Whether we could do it in our own strength or not, we must listen for God's word. And the Lord said 
to Joshua. In effect, by attempting to do this in their own strength, they were taking the glory of any victory they had away from God. By sending out even such a small task force the first time, in effect they were saying, look what we can do. This didn't even need all of us. And so the second thing I want us to take out of this passage, the second lesson is that the glory for every victory must belong to and must be given to God. Then as you compare and contrast the two passages, you see that Joshua knew the resources he had at hand. He severely underestimated what he needed on the first attempt. But then, even though he'd heard from God, he knew exactly what resources were at his disposal. When God said, send all your men, he sent 30,000 men of valour. Lesson three. We know, need to know the resources that are at our disposal and we need to calculate the cost. And then as we look at the differences in the manner of these two attacks, there's a similarity. There's a similarity between the attack on Jericho that was successful and the successful attack on Ai. And that is, on both occasions, they followed God-given strategies. Whereas in the failed attack on I, they followed strategies that had been planned by men. So lesson four, follow God-given strategies. But there are differences as well. There are differences between the victory at Jericho and the victory at I. With Jericho, no man in his right mind would have attacked a heavily fortified city using musicians and a choir. But that's what happened. Because as the presence of God was carried around the town, and as the musicians blew their horns, and as the men shouted, the walls fell. That victory was accomplished by the supernatural. We're not told how God did it. We're not told how many angels there were pushing the bricks over. We're not told anything about that. Because it's unimportant. What is important is that that victory could not in any way be attributed to Joshua and his men. There was a supernatural element. But when we look at I, the strategy relies heavily on the army and on an ambush. And it would be much easier to attribute that victory to the fighting men, acting in faith based on God's promise. And so lesson five for us is that provision doesn't always come supernaturally. 
It can do, and it's great when it does, but equally, provision can come through our own resources when quickened with faith. This second time, as they approached I, Joshua wasn't underestimating things. He took with him every fighting man he could muster. You can imagine it. He probably took the large and the small, the fat and the thin. He probably took the most skillful and the least. And as we come up against challenges, they may require us to muster every bit of our strength. We mustn't overlook the small contributions that some people may make, as well as the large. For together, they bring victory. The lesson, he, Joshua didn't underestimate the task. He took every fighting man and he let them all make their contribution. And then, when we read that passage I started with this morning, we can see the victory was total. It says, when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants, all of them, down to the very last, had fallen by the edge of the sword. This was nothing short of annihilation. And the seventh lesson, the victory was total. I said I felt this message had a particular relevance because of where we're at in looking at buying a building. So how do we apply these lessons? When you come and look round on Tuesday, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give each of you a letter and a CD with a copy of this talk on it. And I want you to listen to this talk again and then take the time to do the following. Firstly, I want you to listen to God. Moses said... You'll find it in Exodus 33:15. Talking to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how should it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it in is it not in your going with us that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. We need to have that attitude. Do you know, I am not the least bit interested in having a building for this church unless God goes with us in that. In fact, if God does not go before us, we shouldn't be going there.
the building needs to be something that serves God and his church. Not just a good idea or something that we end up serving. If we do go ahead, if we're successful, we must take care that the glory goes to God, even if the finances come from us. We need to be like Joshua. We need to look at our resources. We need to budget for this. We need to consider before God what our individual part is and how we can be part of that army, whether a large part or a small. And in that, we need to get over something that we hear all too often. There's a truth in the Bible, and it is true, that God owns the cattle on a thousand hillsides. And we often use it when we're looking for provision and we say there's nothing that God cannot provide because he owns the cattle on a thousand hillsides. And that's true. We also though need to understand that the cattle he chooses to provide often live much nearer home. And it may be several of yours that help make that provision. I don't know whether you know, but the Maasai warriors in Kenya believe that every cow in the world belongs to the Maasai people. When someone confronts them and says, but there's cows in Kent, there's cows in Dorset, there's cows in Yorkshire, in England, they simply reply, we're lending them to the English. It does all belong to God. But we need to have regard to the cows that he has lent us. We need to pray for God's favour. We need to pray that he will multiply the resources that are at our disposal. And then there's a practical thing. I need some feedback on what people are feeling. And I will follow up on that. Because without knowing what people are hearing from God without knowing what our resources are, we cannot move forward. So how do I feel about this building and this opportunity? I know that a number of you wanted to know. It's a question I've been asked. And, and my answer's probably changed, and it's changed over the past week. I believe it is right for us to pursue this opportunity. And I personally have the faith that we can raise the finances necessary. I spent a lot of time while I was at Brighton over the last week praying about this and considering it. And uh, I'm sure that Paula and Rach probably got fed up overhearing me talking to people 
about what was going on. But you know, there's something powerful about talking about things. You actually begin to find out what you really feel, what you believe. Words have huge importance. And I'll tell you what I came to realise. I believe this building is essential for our next phase of development. I believe it will allow us to grow. And actually, I think going to it will bring growth. And I think it will give us a permanent strategic base to work from. I felt that during last week, I heard from God twice. And both times, he was saying, go for it. One of them was reminded, I was reminded of an illustration. I won't share that one with you now. But the other one was just during one of the sessions. Joel Virgo was preaching out of 1 Samuel 14 on Jonathan and his armour bearer. And he was taking an unusual angle on it. And I would encourage you when it goes up on the website to download this and listen to it. Because he wasn't taking the usual context to this passage. Which is a passage where you look at Jonathan and talk to people in leadership. What he was doing was he was looking at the armour bearer and talking about the people who have to work with people in leadership. And then he just drew, for him it was an aside, but he drew out a couple of verses and as he went through them, I just thought, that's it. That's it. And it, it's in verses 6 and 7 of 1 Samuel 14. And it says, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armour, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, by many or by few. Now if you notice that, Jonathan is going into this with a conviction. A conviction that nothing can hinder the Lord. But he doesn't say, this passage does not say, I've heard from God and he says we should go and do this. It's, hey, let's go over there and see what's going on. It may be that the Lord will work for us. It's an if. Let's go over there and if God's with us, something's going to happen. It was a maybe. Hey, we'll go over there and maybe God will spark something. And if you read through the rest of that story, what you find is they do. They go over to the camp and because of the way the events unfold, something very significant does happen. But then what I want to say is my faith alone is not sufficient. We all need to have faith for this venture. We need to have faith for it corporately. I 
personally believe that as you see the building on Tuesday, as you come and have a look round it, I think you will find something in your heart stirred. But then I want your feedback. I'm happy to answer your questions as much as I'm able. So I just want to encourage you, come on Tuesday. Come with the attitude of Jonathan, where he says, let's go over to that camp. And it may be that God will open something up. Come in that attitude. Come listening to God. And let me know what you feel. And don't forget your torches. Amen. Catherine, I'd like us just to sing a song. And I just want us to pray this morning before we finish. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.